0: Hey guys, this is Anna. So before we get to the, get on with the show today, let's hear from our sponsor. everybody, this is the ramblings of a transgender Christian. I am your host, Anna Hudak. So yeah, we definitely have quite a bit to talk about, especially about one man. His name being Rod Dreyer. He is the editor-in-chief of the American Conservative, and someone I have written about on my blog. I'm actually going to have, in the show notes, a link to my article that I wrote last year, Um, basically tearing apart his ridiculous article, um, arguing that queerness is, quote-unquote, contemporary pop Gnosticism. No, no, I'm not joking. He, He literally argued that being queer is contemporary pop Gnosticism. If you have no idea what the fuck that even means, well, just read the article. You will find out. Um, But, yeah, I I, I have torn this fucker apart in uh, last year um, quite thoroughly. Um, And it was quite fun. (laughs) Um, And I am going to tear him apart again because this is a guy on the right who, unfortunately, does not get enough attention. I think pretty much the only people who really pay attention to this dude... Our Chapo Trap House, and Chapo Trap House does quite a good job of tearing this fucker apart. Not going to deny that. Uh, they are masters at tearing him apart. Um, but unfortunately, they like, and, and I'll leave you know the, a lot of it. You know, his just more average articles to in you know, to him. You know, his articles arguing about you know Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. I'm going to focus more on his articles arguing against the LGBT community, um, because unfortunately, once again, this is a guy who needs to be more focused on, because this is an actual conservative intellectual. Okay, like here's the thing: most of you know people on the right, you know, like the actual thought leaders on the right, they don't take Ben Shapiro or Steven Crowder or Glenn Beck seriously. For the conservative plebeians. Actual conservative intellectuals take Rod Dreyer seriously. Um, like, literally, here's how, how important Rod Dreher is to the anti LGBT um, cause Samuel Alito, a U.S. Supreme Court justice, has literally cited Rod Dreyer in court cases where he voted against the LGBT community. Rod Dreher is literally cited in opinions by Supreme Court justices about why the LGBT community should be fucked over. That's how important Rod Dreher is to the conservative anti-LGBT cause. Um, He's an actual thought leader in the anti-LGBT cause. And so that's why you know and that's why I am going to whenever I can find a chance to go after this dude and this guy um just just a piece of work um so this guy used to be a Catholic and then he converted to um or to um east i think it was Eastern orthodox I forget- exactly which branch of orthodox he converted to, and the reason for it was because of you know the pedophile case, but here's the thing. Like, you know, the priests touching the underage boys? Well, here's the thing. It wasn't actually the pedophilia that made him convert to um, orthodox. The the pedophilia didn't really seem to disgust him much. It was what he called, quote-unquote, the Lavender Mafia. It was the fact that these priests were gay that disturbed him. Not the fact they were pedophiles. It was that they were gay. You see, pedophilia... Not really that bad of a thing, apparently. Uh, But gay, oh my fucking god, the lavender mafia. Uh, Better convert religions. Better move to a, you know, different, different uh, Christian uh, denomination over that. You know, oh my fucking god, can't have gay people. Pedophiles, uh, bad, but you know, not that bad. Gay, oh my fucking god, better, better move to Orthodox instead of Catholicism. Um, This guy has literally blamed the Holocaust on the existence of LGBT people. No, I'm not joking one bit. The guy literally, literally said that the Holocaust happened because gay people and trans people asked for rights. No, I'm not joking. According to him, the Holocaust never would have happened if gay and trans people just stayed in Verlaine and not, you know been openly gay and openly trans and asked for rights. That, you know, the German people had no other recourse but to commit genocide because gay and trans people asked for rights. I am not misconstruing that or strawmanning that. He actually argued that. Um, let's see, and what are some of his other best hits on the LGBT community? Um, Because, believe me, this guy is so fucking obsessed with the LGBT community, you cannot convince me that he's just a a self-hating, closeted queer. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah, so he said this in 2009. He worried that homosexuality might be, quote-unquote, legitimized. Were that to happen, he wrote, that would lock in on a legal front to codify a purely contractual, nihilistic view of human sexuality. He continued, I believe this would be a profound distortion of what it means to be fully human. So yes, what he's saying is, if you are queer, you are not fully human. You are, in fact, subhuman. Um, And also, I love the fact that he argues that, um, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Um, Anyway, uh, but yeah, basically, you're not fully human, if you're clear. Let's see. Uh, He said this. um, In the exact same post as that, Dreyer said that, quote-unquote, failing to live by Christian sexual morality, i.e. being gay, uh, contributes to the debasement of one's character and the death of the soul. Ah, yes, therefore, if you're gay, you're going to hell. Yeah, I'm certain that's what the Bible says. Um, <laughs> um let's and he also wrote this. Let's assume, as I believe most people do, that homosexuality is not a choice, given that premise, it is an immutable, morally neutral condition, like race. He wrote like race in parentheses, or it is an immutable, morally deficient condition like alcoholism. That can be accommodated to some degree by law and custom, but has no civil rights claims. Davila's of gay rights activists and her supporters is the first option. De of traditional religious believers is the second. So basically he is literally equating homosexuality to alcoholism. Yeah, I'm not joking. Um <laughs> So he yeah, also, so when um, Rick Warren, who is a noted opponent of gays and gay rights, uh, when it was announced that he was going to speak at Barack Obama's first presidential inauguration, gay activists, you know, obviously spoke out for good reason. And here's what Dre wrote, the narcissism of some gays really knows no bounds of it immediately accused um the activists of living in a spiteful little bubble. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. In July 20, 2006, after George Michael was accused of engaging in anonymous public sex, Dreyer used the incident to tar gays at large. What are the rest of us supposed to think, he asked, about gay male culture and the degree to which it self defines according to behavior that most people rightfully right- find repulsive? It should go without saying that Reddair produced no evidence that gays "quote unquote" self-defy according to enthusiasm for for sex in public places anymore, or less than straights. Um, but yeah, just t- we could go on. There are so many examples of just stupid, bigoted, ignorant things this guy has said. And so, what has this fucker decided to speak out about this time? So hungry. Um, they have decided to ban um, LGBT things in kid, for kids. Um, so this is his article, which I will, of course, link a web archive version because there's no reason for it to get, um, you know, ad revenue from it. The t- article is titled, Hungary, Localist Lawmakers Defend Local Values. So here is the article. The Hungarian parliament has given a big fat finger to the cultural imperialists of the West. I ah, guess because Rod Dreyer totally gives a shit about imperialism. <clears throat> anyway, so he quotes an article, and this is what the article says. Hungary's parliament has passed a law banning gay people from featuring in school educational materials or TV shows for under-18s. It's Viktor Orban's ruling party intensified its campaign against LGBT rights the National Assembly passed the legislation by 157 votes to one. After MPs in the ruling Fidesz, Fidesz? I have no idea how to pronounce that. party ignored a last-minute plea by one of Europe's leading human rights officials to abandon the plan as an affront, to the, again, an affront against the, pers- the rights and identities of LGBTI persons. Despite a boycott of the vote by some opposition politicians, the outcome was never in doubt. As, a, the, as Fidesz has a healthy majority and the plans were supported by the far-right jo, Jopik party. The measures have been likened by critics to, a, to Russia's 2013 against, law against, quote-unquote, gay propaganda. that independent monitors say has increased social hostility and fueled vigilante attacks against lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in the EU's country's eastern neighbor. Oh, gee, what a shock. Um, The Hungarian legislation outlaws sharing information with under-18s that the government considers to be promoting homosexuality or gender change. There are contents which children under a certain age can misunderstand and which may have a detrimental effect on their development at the given age or which children simply cannot process and which could therefore confuse for developing moral values or their image of themselves or the world said Hungarian government spokesperson. Cause you know, um, obviously straight kids, you know, uh, he can totally comprehend straight heterosexual cisgender stuff. Um, uh, they, they, they could totally process that, but gay, you know, that's so different that, uh, That cannot be processed for reasons, you see. Just for reasons. Um, So different, you know. There's just something inherent about heterosexuality and cisgenderism that uh, you can't say they cannot process about transgenderism and homosexuality, obviously. Totally. That totally makes sense. Um, Anyway, continue on with the article. The law also means only individuals and organizations listed in an official register can carry out sex education classes in schools, a measure targeting organizations with dubious professional background, often established for the representation of specific sexual orientations, the government spokesperson said. Corporations and large organizations will also be banned from running adverts in solidarity with gay people if they are deemed to target under-18s. In 2019, a Coca-Cola ad campaign featuring smiling gay couples and anti-discrimination slogans prompted some f- prominent Five Dance members to call for a boycott of the company's products. Oh, the horror we show gay co- a gay couples smiling together. J- just think of the decadence of the last. Um, gay couples smiling. So fucking horrifying. I don't like it. Continue on. The law means that TV shows and films featuring gay characters or even a rainbow flag would be permitted only after the watershed, say, campaigners who have studied the legislation. Anyway, so now we get to Rod Dreher himself. The great Rod Dreher um, commenting on this all. What will the great wise one have to say about all of this? So Victor Orban has neutered blue. You don't see things like that from often. Of course, that article from The Guardian is filled with liberals characterizing this as the apocalypse. Ah, yes, I can't see why. Telling, basically teaching LGBT kids that they are not valid. um, Teaching that being LGBT is some moral deficiency. Um, and something that obviously, you know, by its very nature, teaching that LGBT people are inherently morally deficient, which always, which, you know, to- which leads to violence against said group. Yeah, I can't see why. Yeah, to- totally a mystery why this would be viewed as, quote unquote, the apocalypse, according to you. Yeah, totally, totally cannot understand why. Um, But continue on. Um, Let's see Note well, however, that most of the opposition MPs boycotted the vote for positioning it as a protest against the outrageousness of the law But the truth is none of them wanted to be on record as voting against it They know it would be used against them in next year's campaign And that it would be used against them effectively because most Hungarians do not share liberal views on LGBT not when it comes to children um, to be fair to them, the ruling Fidesz Party tracked this legisla- tacked this legislation onto a bill penalizing pedophilia, putting the opposition MPs who opposed the legislation in the position of having to straight to vote against a larger bill, strengthening laws against pedophilia. Okay, this is actually, I will give the Hungarians fucking credit for this. They played that beautifully. Tacking it to an anti-pedophilia bill. This is something that I am honestly stunned that the Republican Party here in America never thought of. Like, But you better believe that because once again, actual people like Supreme Court Justices read Rod Okay? You know that Republican congressmen are reading this. You know that Republican governors are reading this. Rod Dreher wrote this specifically to the benefit. Of these conservative legislators here in America and other Western countries. He is literally doing this as, hey, Republicans, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Guess what you should do? Tack this to an anti-pedophilia bill. Dare these liberals to vote against pedophilia. Dare them to do it. This is literally the sole reason for him to do it of him writing this out. It is him literally daring um, uh, LGBT, daring Republicans to tack anti-LGBT bills to anti-pedophilia bills and then saying, all right, liberals, vote against this. Go on record saying that you are for um, pedophilia, which is actually pretty fucking horrifying. But you know what? I mean, honest, and unfortunately, let's be honest, it will work. That's the horrifying thing about this. It will absolutely work because who wants to be on record of uh, being against pedophilia and that is honestly the horrifying thing about this and he is telling anti-LGBT activists you need to tack this to pedophilia make being LGBT um, completely in like, um, like basically when people think of LGBT they think of pedophilia That is the whole point of him writing this down. And Hungary has only merely paved the way for it and shown that it quite, in fact, works. Um, And so he's saying, hey, Republicans, this is what you need to do. That is the whole point of this. Because we all know that the Democrats have no fucking spine and they'll absolutely go along with it. They will take the bait and say, Oh no, we can't vote for this. Yeah, Republicans pass this. Because we all know that the Democrats are fucking spilett cowards. Because if they had any fucking fortitude, they would immediately vote against this bill. But they don't because they're fucking immoral cowards. Um, But anyway, because I want to make it clear if I were a congressperson, I would absolutely vote against the bill. Say, I mean, I honestly would. Like, yeah, go ahead. P- smear me as a pedophile. I mean, I'm already trans. You already think I'm a pedophile. Go ahead. Say it. Say it, fucker. And and also just a reminder that, you know, lawmakers only care about themselves at the end of the day. They don't give a shit about, you know, your rights. They're only looking out for themselves. Because if they had any fucking morality, they would have voted against the bill, no matter how damaging it was to her career. Um, But they don't at the end of the day. They do not care about human rights, basic human rights at the end of the day. Because, well, it's not them, so. But, yeah, so, this is, so, so understand why Rod Dreyer put that in there. You can criticize the law, and i continue on with his commentary. You can criticize the law as bigoted and the Hungarian lawmakers who voted against it as bigoted, but this is really going to help Fidesz next year for reasons you will not likely hear about in Western News Reporting. I have written in this space for a couple of months now. Sorry, written in this space for a couple of months. How being in Hungary as a season has taught me a lot about why the Hungarians believe the things they do. For this example, none of us outside of Hungary, and. Adjacent countries can possibly grasp how intensely Hungarians feel about the Treaty of Trianon. The 1919 Treaty of concluding World War one against the defeated Austro Hungarian Empire carved two thirds of Hungarian territory away from the country and distributed it to other peoples. Slovaks, Romanians, Croatians, and others did well by Trianon. But it was a massive trauma to the Hungarians and remains so to this day. So, it it is impossible to overstate how strongly they feel about it. But spending a couple of months getting to know him, you really and truly get it. So, okay, so being anti-LGBT is justified because Hungarians, who lost World War I, um... Because they're molding over it hundred years later, then being anti-LGBT, anti-basic human rights is perfectly justified. Yeah, that 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 totally makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, the, no, totally. Just like the Holocaust was totally justified because the Germans were traumatized by losing World War One and getting fucked over. Yeah, the, the the Holocaust was totally justified. That that by the same token, obviously, to- totally, totally makes complete logical sense in every way. Completely, yeah, yeah, totally. <clears throat> and then continuing on, and then they were occupied by an imperial power, the Soviets, for 40 years. So Hungarians feel very very strongly about national sovereignty. They had a rotten 20th century and resent, like hell, people from other countries exercising control over their fate. So with that in mind, take a look at this email I received last night from a reader. Okay, so because they had a rotten 100 years and the Soviets, who, by the way, were very anti-LGBT, um... It is justified to be anti-basic human rights. So, because, you know, other countries believe in basic human rights, um, it is justified, and Hungary is very nationalistic, it is therefore okay for them to say, fuck human rights. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense, Roger. Makes total sense. Um, anyway, so he has an email from a reader. You, know, these are always good. The, I want to make it clear; these are always fucking amazing. So these, so whenever he receives an email, it is always just from some concerned reader, you know, who usually is fucking rich, you know, who's usually a part of a age group that is, you know, either affected by this thing in some way or, you know writing about somebody they know, who's in that age group, who's maybe affected by it some way. They're always usually rich and well-off, and they always come up with, have these fantastical stories to tell. So what what I'm saying is, none of these emails are ever real. I I would literally bet money that none of these emails are even remotely real, that he literally makes up these emails that he receives. Um... Because almost all of them are just too fucking fantastical, or just too fucking convenient for his argument. Like no one with a with, with an ounce of brain, with even a single brain cell, would ever look at any of these emails he ever receives. Like, oh yeah, so many totally emailed you <clears> that. Anyway, here's what his what his totally real email, totally really said. I'm writing to you in connection with your recent article in which you mentioned that you have no idea whether claims about Hungarian state corruption are true or false. Well, I just thought you might be interested to hear my two cents as a young, conservative, somewhat disillusioned, but still solid, urban voter. I don't want to bore, so just in a nutshell. In Hungary, the main opposing forces are not left and right, but globalist the opposition, and localist, Fidesz. Oh, basically what the far right here in America says. Like Alex fucking Jones, who regularly talks about how the real battle isn't right versus left, but globalist versus nationalist. Or, should I say, patriot. Yeah, this is... um, <clears throat> Far right talking points in every fucking country under the sun. Like, what country could you ever go to where that's not what the far right says? Name me one country. Name me one. Britain, they say that. The Britain far right says that. The Canadian far right says that. The Mexican far right says that. The Turkish far right says that. Every fucking far right um, group in every fucking country under the sun says the exact same fucking thing. This is nothing new. The far right here in America says the exact same fucking thing. This is not some fucking thing that's exclusive to Hungary. So when this fucking little dipshit is writing that, you know, suing this dipshit if it exists, let's be honest, it's almost certain Roger Ayer. You know, but let's pretend for sake of argument that somebody actually sent him this email It's just a far-right dipshit, you know, saying what exactly every other far-right person in the rest of the world says. This is nothing new. Anyway, continuing on. The globalists also significantly overlap with the post-communists. Post-communists who have Western connections from the ruling days when they built up these links through for foreign trade relations and so-called imprex companies, I have no idea what the fuck that means. Um, And also I love how um, he doesn't define who these post-communists are. Uh I just want to make that clear. This is just like, you know, like, like, it's just like how, you know, nobody ever defines who the fucking globalists are or, you know, like like what communism actually is. Like, this is just, standard, far-right talking points, just meaningless, you know, undefinable talking points. Like, they just say post-communist or, you know, Marxist or, you know, cultural Marxism, and they never define anything. It is purposely vague on who these people are and what their actual beliefs are um, for a reason, so that it can always define whoever is your opposition. It never has any actual meaning. Um, yeah, And I continue along the article Who are now parodying every Western trend From trans acceptance to BLM Have managed to transfer the rule of most Hungarian institutions From the arts to business Through smart privatization When Orban was defeated In 2002 And this wasn't today's fire and brimstone Orban This was a moderate version The media, partly Western owned Partly under the rule of post-communists Played a large role in his defeat because, once again, remember, basic human rights, like trans acceptance and, you know, being pro-Black Lives Matter, you know, saying, basically just literally saying that Black Lives Matter are literally Marxist plots. You know, and therefore evil, because we have fooled ourselves into believing that the teachings of Marx are evil. Um, so, just, just, just understand that these people are saying... This is literally just, meh, human rights bad for minorities. Because people that I don't like, a vaguely de- a undefinable group that I have made up in my head, champion them. So, I know I can say on the article with the, with the Totally Real or email. So when Orban won in 2010, he decided to build up the localist side, whatever it takes. So, yes, you may say that, that works, the huge umbrella or corporation of Orban-friendly news outlets, from Magyar, Nemzet, I have no idea how to pronounce that, to a large number of small local newspapers as a corrupt media empire propped up by state cash funneled to it by crony deals. But... The alternative is a media landscape where no conservative voice will ever find purchase, led by moral nihilists who would, and did, sell her country for bubbles. So in other words, corruption is fine as long as it owns the libs. That's literally what he's saying here. State corruption is fine as long as it owns the libs. Make no mistake of what this fucker is saying. Uh, Continuing on. Or you might find fault with the rise of Lauren Keserose, I am not to pronounce that. not the richest man in Hungary, who is a childhood friend of uh, Orban, but the alternative is the country it's our country sold out to the highest bidder. So in other words, once again, state you know, corruption by is state corruption is fine as long as you're owning the libs. But you better believe that if it was the opposite and it was a more liberal uh, president of Hungary and, I don't know, the richest man of Hungary was, you know, a childhood friend of him and was having just a sudden, mysterious rise. This motherfucker would be uh, bitching about it so hard. Like, oh my gosh, state corruption. This is evil. Our government is so corrupt, but because it's owning the libs. Oh, well, that's perfectly fine. <clears throat> um, but anyway, continue on. So in my opinion, corruption, quote unquote, should be seen in this light. Of course, it is always disheartening to read about the latest purchase of Mr. Mazzaro's. Currently, he is building a $10 million um, in U.S. dollars mansion for his new, much younger wife. But we often say that if it's just the price to pay to escape the madness engulfing the USA and much of the Western world right now, so be it. We'll pay the price. So we'll so we'll pay the price of having an authoritarian, corrupt government that's no regard for basic human rights, as long as it owns the libs. Yeah, that's a, that's a genius idea that can't backfire in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, totally. And I'm certain that yeah, you know, this yeah, never mind. Um, so Rod Dreher, the great genius, Rod Dreher is now commenting on this well-thought-out, uh, very intelligent, e- totally real email. So to Western eyes, the Fidesz anti-LGBT legislation must look like nothing but cynical bigotry. Hmm, gee, wonder why. Yeah, I can't figure that one out. Um, <clears throat> Continue on. But from the point of view of Hungarians who support it, it's about the government refusing to allow Hungarian cultural bullies to be steamrolled by its Western elites, NGOs, and the media. So, um, let me get this straight. So, basic human rights are... So if you have a cultural belief that certain minorities are subhuman and deserve no rights, we're supposed to just be okay with that and not speak out against it at all. Okay, um interesting take. Um like I like yeah, never no, mind. No, no. And continue on. You may think this is a mistake by the Hungarians, but you should try to see it from their point of view. So at least you'll understand why they think the way they do. As I've seen from my two months in this part of the world, the cultural imperialism coming from the West is really strong. In Poland, Romania, and Hungary, I talked to a number of people who resent the hell out of being made to feel by Western Europeans that they are backwards because they are more socially conservative. Oh, I don't know, because they are. I'm sorry, but if you don't believe in basic human rights, yes, you are Daw, this is not rocket science yeah i yeah, I believe that black people should be enslaved, oh well, if that's your cultural belief, then that's perfectly okay. That is a perfectly valid point of view um, and shame on anyone. Who makes you feel backwards for believing that? Yeah, I believe that Jews are subhuman scum who should be put tossed into gas chambers. Well, okay, if that's your point of view, you know, your if that's what your culture teaches, then you know we all totally need respect. That's just another point of view, and shame on anyone who makes you feel socially backwards and is trying to change that system. So, now let those pamper you You know, you go gas those Jews You go enslave those black people You go take. A, you, you go ensure that women are nothing but Sex styles for your men You go ensure that those gays Can be tossed off rooftops You go do that because that's what your Cultural beliefs are We're totally not backwards in any way <sighs> Yeah you go You go Shame on anyone who wants to change that and make you feel bad for it. Shame on them. Okay, well, continuing on. When they have a government that pushes back to defend a nation's values, they like, oh, gee, really? Bigots love it when their government defends bigotry. Oh, wow. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, like, hmm, interesting. Never seen that before. I don't know. Like, maybe that's the reason why the Confederate States went and became the Confederate States and broke off from the Union. Because they loved the fact that somebody wanted to create their own nation that defended the rights of bigots and slave owners and viewed black people as subhuman. Yeah, that's totally an argument for bigotry. And having a government that spits in the face of human rights. Yeah, that's totally an argument. Yeah, I'm certain a lot of Germans were totally happy that they had a government that viewed Jews as every bit as subhuman, gypsies as every bit as subhuman, and LGBT people as every bit as subhuman as them. And therefore, we're very happy to support the Holocaust. So does that mean that the Holocaust is okay, Rod? Is that what that means? <clears throat> anyway, continuing on um, with his article, Meanwhile in America... This new piece from Adweek. And he quotes from Adweek. Everyone knows the story of Rapunzel, but this time her super long hair is armpit hair. Oh, the horror. Because she's not waiting for anyone because she's hella gay. And that tower? It's her sweet penthouse with an elevator. It's a body positive fairy Pride Fairy Tale, presented by DTC razor brand Billy on his Instagram account. The Rapunzel Reimagining, illustrated by Sophie Birkin, is one of four charming stories that, will brand, uh, that the brand will release via Instagram throughout Pride Month. Billy unveils the next story in the series to th- today, and Edwin got a special exclusive look at the new tale before release. So these are Instagram stories. Instagram stories. Which is mostly used by young adults. Like, mostly by people who are like probably between the ages of 18 and 30. And you realize all you have to do to not see these stories from a brand that nobody's ever heard of before is not follow that Instagram page. Like you, you realize that, right? Like this is, seems like the weirdest thing to bitch about. Um, anyway, um, uh, continuing on, gosh, can't wait. Uh, continuing with this article Gosh, can't imagine why the Hungarians wouldn't want for children's culture to enjoy these blessings of liberty. Hey, how about this? Their parents just not show them that it's not that hard, duh, and then continuing on, update a reader writes. The inability of the left to meaningfully distinguish between the current LGBTQ activism and complete gay erasure is exceedingly telling as a feature of how lost in the sauce they are. Okay, what does this even mean? So because we're fighting for basic human rights. Like, wait, I I don't even, like, so this guy is literally mad. Like, we should just accept not being genocided and not fight for basic human rights which is what we're still fighting for like holy fuck no dude you're the one who's lost in the sauce not us sorry so yeah um i think the one proper response at the end of the day to Rod Rayer that reader assuming that email writer is real and the hungarian government and any Hungarian person who's okay with any of this oppression. I think the one proper response to them all is, Fuck off. Then keep fucking off. Fuck off until so you come up to a gate with a sign saying, You can't fuck off past here. Climb over the gate. Dream the impossible dream. And keep fucking off forever. I think that's a very well-spoken very well thought out um response to all of you who believe that l g b t people shouldn't have basic human rights at least you know i I can't think of another way to put it i I think it's very beautiful um, so yeah, um got that story done um let's see what else is there. Don't think I want to get into that. Um, don't think I'm going to get into that. All right, so there's just two more things I want to talk about. Um, so this other one is going to be a bit of a long story. But, I want, but once again, I'm going to have a link to it in the description. Oh, no, I must be starting to get hiccups. Oh, great. Uh, but anyway, the Washington Post, they had a fantastic article. And this is such a fantastic article, like I had to read it um, here on the podcast, because I think this is a very important article. Um, And so it's called Anti-Blackness and Transphobia Are Older Than We Thought. And it's by Roland Bedingcourt. So so I'm just going to read the article, and maybe every now and then I might comment, but mostly I'm probably just going to... Read the article, because I think it's very important. Once again, you can find the article in the show notes. <laughs> when did racism begin? Because how of how ideas about race shape our contemporary world, some have argued that racism did not exist in the ancient and medieval worlds; that it was a modern invention. Proposing that there was a back- past before racism helped prop up the notion that Americans were living in a post-racial presence in the decades after the civil rights movement, but nothing could be further from the truth. More than just thinking, race thinking, sorry, more than just race thinking and varied forms of racialized prejudices, the ancient and medieval world provide us with a deep legacy of anti-blackness. This history of anti-blackness has not only defined modern racism as we know it, but also how it shaped how gender and sexuality have been explained and represented for centuries. <clears throat> remembering this history longer sorry, remembering this longer history of racism and transphobia should remind us of how deeply ingrained these ideas are and how much effort it will take to root them out. Recognizing anti-blackness in the deep past, particularly the Christian Middle Ages, allows us to better understand how colorist prejudices were racialized and transmitted from ancient Greece and Rome to the modern Western world. Throughout this period, Christianity attempted to position itself as a new race, genos, or group of people that transcended ethnic categories and civilizations by proselytizing across the known world from India to Ethiopia. But Christianity still retained a deep anti-blackness rooted in ancient theories of racialized and gender differences. The Byzantine Empire, or more accurately, the medieval Roman Empire, controlled the eastern Mediterranean from um, 330 to 1453 CE, with its capital in Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. Constantinople was the envy of the western medieval world, a cosmopolitan center at the crossroads of the Mediterranean, Eastern Europe, and Asia. Because of its lineage dating to antiquity, the Byzantine Empire provides a unique lens on how racial tropes persisted across millennia and how they were transmitted and reconceived under Christian rule. European visitors to Constantinople often remarked on the city's racial diversity and commented on the darker skin of its emperors and people. Surprisingly, Byzantine sources were often silent on this racialized difference, potentially taking it for granted in her cosmopolitan empire. While, yet, while Byzantines were not white in the eyes of her European neighbors, they also deprivileged whiteness in their descriptions of feminine beauty and often contoured her own identity through a prism of anti-blackness. For example, Byzantine intellectuals boasted about the students who came to work with them from around the globe, and imperial authors praised the diversity of the imperial court. In 1174, Eustathios the Theos of Veseloniki celebrated the diversity of the emperor's entourage by listing all the various envoys from foreign lands present, including the Indian, too, slightly tinged with black and the Ethiopian with his whole skin burnt dark. At the same time, the popular epic romance, Digenes Ekritas, dating to the same period, described its hero's Arab father as knowing the Romans, i.e. Byzantines, language perfectly, having curly hair and saying that his complexion was not black like the Ethiopians, but fair and handsome. While outsiders could be scorned for her dark complexion, Dark skin wasn't considered bad in all cases for the subjects of the Byzantine Empire. In fact, it was associated with admirable strength of ancient heroes, like Odysseus, who Homer described as black-skinned in The Odyssey. But whether dark skin was seen as virtuous or ugliness depended on one's gender and sexuality. As dark complexion was prized as a sign of masculinity, manly men were said to have had dark skin. But dark skin was considered unfeminine, and therefore dark-skinned women were viewed negatively, as were light-skinned men. Since white skin was associated with feminine beauty, when translated onto the male body, it became a sign of queerness and, quote-unquote, effeminacy. One Byzantine Empire manual, Komnenos, I think it's Komnenos. Um, was praised at Lane for his dark complexion. But his eulogy revealed his gendered view on dark skin in this period. Kamino's dark skin matched his dignity since it did not display, quote-unquote, an effeminate paleness, having aspired to an appearance that one does not find on womanly or soft people. In Greek, terms like womanly and soft were slurs for effeminate men and for men who slept with men. Respectively, malthicose was even a term, um, technical, was even a technical term in late antique medicine to pathologize same-sex, sorry, same-gender desire, particularly for men acting as passive partner in such acts. And malthicose means soft. When discussing the same emperor in the early 13th century, chronicler Nicotus Croniatus wrote in that, In complexion, he was neither snow-white, like those reared in the shade, nor the color of deep black smoke, like those exposed to the burning rays of the sun. He was consequently not fair-complexioned, but swarthy in appearance. Like the emperor's eulogizers, Connieates is clear to highlight Komnenos as someone who spent his time in the sun doing manly things. Yet he also walked a careful racial tightrope, wanting to praise the Emperor's Ark's skin and therefore his masculinity, while also making sure not to associate him with those um, exposed to the burning rays of the sun. In other words, making sure not to associate the color of a skin with a distinctly racialized group, such as black Africans, what Greek texts would have vaguely referred to as Ethiopians, literally meaning burnt-faced. This reference to the burning rays of the sun is crucial, because since antiquity it was believed that not only did the sun's rays darken the skin, but the climate also altered people's character. For example, those reared in the extreme cold and shade were understood as having been burned, by the cold, burned white by the cold. And Hippocrates um, even said that the men in those places became eunuchs and behaved like women. Thus, the understanding that dark skin was associated with masculinity and vir- virility, virility emerged from this broader dialogue having, involving both racialized and gendered inequ- and identities. Some unique tales of transgender saints from the 5th to the ninth centuries provide a vivid illustration of how these identities intersect. These saints had been assigned female at birth, but lived out their lives as men in male monastic communities. Across their stories, we read how their bodies changed over the years, with their breasts withering, the cessation of of menstruation, and their skin gaining a darker and coarse complexion. One trans monk's former husband does not even recognize his former wife because he, just, because he appeared, quote-unquote, just as an Ethiopian. Part of affirming the male gender of these trans monks involved articul- articulating a transformation in skin color. These associations between race thinking and gender were so central that in depictions of the Ethiopian eunuch, a figure assigned male at birth, who was castrated in childhood from the Acts of the Apostles in the Bible. The figure of the eunuch was rarely depicted as a black person, even though, quote-unquote, Ethiopian was defined in contemporaneous dictionaries as literally meaning a black person. Instead, the Ethiopian eunuch was depicted as a white youth because it was pale whiteness that was associated with the appearance of eunuchs. Eunuchs played an important role in the Byzantine Empire, understood not quite as men, and often attacked as misogynistic language and stereotypes. Therefore, it was their disputed gender identity that came to determine the depiction of eunuchs-skinned kawaii artists, deploying the same palettes used for the depiction of courtly women with pale, white skin and rosy cheeks. It is in these rich and nuanced crossings of gender, sexuality, and race that the Middle Ages can productively shatter many of our preconceptions and also make us aware of the deep and interlaced histories of racism and transphobia. Across history, racializing people as others often went far beyond epidermal, physiogenomic, or genetic markers of race alone. Accurately understanding the complex and intertwined history of these ideas is key to understanding our world, where racism and transphobia have become the dominant ideologies of hatred. The Middle Ages offer crucial, crucial lessons to us today as we continue to fight for the for struggle for trans rights, working against anti-black police brutality and articulate the importance of teaching our history of racism in classrooms. So yeah, I had to share that article. It's too fucking important. It really shows us how ingrained these things are, why we are so racist and transphobic as a society, and how it's so intertwined with Christianity, which is why it is. I think hopefully this helps us understand better what we really need to fight against. Anyway, um, yeah, probably to um end this uh thing. I saw Cruella finally. So, if you know, um, I am a huge um, 101 Dalmatians fan. It is a book that literally impacted my life, especially the character Cruella Devel. And So, I finally, finally saw Cruella yesterday. Um, totally legally. Yeah, I, to- I totally, totally did not um, uh, illegally pirate it on Put No, 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 no. I totally watched it legally and I would totally never ever recommend anybody uh pirate Disney films on Put Locker or Pirate Bay. Never never would, you know. I would never recommend people um pirate um content from such a immoral, evil company such as Disney. Yeah, yeah, never never would. Um obviously. Um but yeah, I I finally saw it. Um I have two thoughts on it. Um, first off, it was uh, something. I'm not 100% insur- sure on what I think of it. Like, I think I liked it. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. It was kind of weird. Like, it was fine. I don't know, like, the dialogue was really not good. i am just be honest, I don't think this dialogue was all that good in the movie. Um, yeah, like, I, I really don't know what to think. It's not the most, it's not that memorable film either. Like, I kind of forgot most of what happened shortly after the movie ended. I think the only reason I'd even say I kind of liked it was because of how queer-coded the movie is. Like, the movie is queer as all hell. I mean, it's literally the story. I, you know, I mean, it's it's literally the story of a girl who's been told her entire life she must act one way, you know, and must hide her true nature because it's not respectable. And then just coming out to embrace that nature, you know, as an adult, and just realizing that person I was told to be was very destructive to me. It's not who I was, and now, you know, I'm just going to fucking embrace who I really am. I mean, that's literally the whole plot of the film. That's the whole fucking story. It's queer as fuck. I think that's literally the only reason why I really enjoyed it. Because, like, as a film, it's, like, super fucking mediocre. But, like, because of that, you know, because I like that kind of thing, I like could probably give it like, a 6 out of 10. Probably. But, like, it's probably really just a 5 out of 10 movie. I don't know. I don't know why I think, you know, whenever I make a letterbox review of it, whenever, whenever I finally do that, uh, I'll leave it in... Um, do the show notes so you can kind of understand my true thoughts of the film. Um, but yeah, I think mean, that's, you know, I just kind of wanted to talk about that because, you know, the character is so important to me. Um, to say I finally saw Cruella in a totally legal fashion, you know, totally did not pirate it on putlocker.is. Totally did not. And I'm totally not recommending anybody, um, Use that um, site. Let me just make sure—is that even the link I used? Um, and I'm only looking looking for my hit. No, sorry. Putlockers.li, putlockers. Li. Putlockers. P u t l o c k e r s. Li. Um, I I am simply giving you that link, simply so that you don't use it. Okay. I want you to know what site to. Totally not used to pirate um, content from immoral companies who shouldn't be immoral monopolies um, who um, kiss at, kiss cover the Chinese government's ass. Um, you know to not give them money. You know. You know it, it, you should totally give Disney, who's a monopoly and kiss go- Chinese government ass, money. Yes, totally. Do not illegally pirate stuff so that. It's, don't give them money. I don't know, maybe I might even have to put a link to it in the description just so that, you know, you know what not link to what link to never use. Um but yeah, anyway. Um I I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I really needed to get back to um ending the episodes with a good news story. And so of course this will be in the show notes. But yes, I I, I realize I need to end sort of these episodes again on good news stories, so all right, this is from Good News Network. The article is: Instead of skipping graduation to work at Waffle House, his boss and coworkers cooked up miracles to get him there. <clears throat> as we all, as we all know, the best played, sorry, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, and sometimes those of high school seniors do as well. Timothy Harrison of Centerpoint, Alabama, planned to attend his high school graduation. He'd even cleared it with his boss to take time off. But when the ceremony dawned, Harrison found himself stranded. The event was being held an hour away from home. With his family and members working and no one able to drive him there, much to the surprise of his manager, Cedric Hampton, Harrison showed up for his regular 7 a.m. shift at the local Waffle House. Once Hampton heard the details of Harrison's dilemma, not only that he didn't have a way to get to the graduation, but he missed uh, out on on picking up his ticket, gap, and gown. The quick-thinking manager immediately marshaled his Waffle House troops for action. I could see in his eyes that he really wanted to go, and I told it was going to get him there no matter what, Hampton told the Washington Post. No kid should miss for high school graduation. After being ferried to school to retrieve his cap and gown back at Waffle House, the latest senior was outfitted in a brand-new ensemble picked up and paid for by his co-workers, with a little help from some generous restaurant patrons. We decided we were going to step in and take care of everything for him for today so he could really celebrate the day. A couple of customers contributed as well, Hampton told the Post. Within a few hours, we were able to get everything taken care of. Harrison was not properly attired, but they still had to get him to the 3 o'clock ceremony on time. It was a close call, but thanks to Hampton, the soon-to-be graduate just made it. While his coworkers weren't able to accompany the young man aside, they couldn't have been prouder of him. When I sat down in that auditorium, it was the best moment of my life, Harrison told WBRC News. This is a memory I'll cherish forever. I'm going to tell my kids about this. Harrison, who's been at his job a a little over a month, nonetheless now considers his Waffle House posse like Ken and credits his Quote-unquote, work family patriarch Hampton for stepping in, stepping up, and being willing to go the extra mile for him. The old saying goes, it takes a village to raise a baby, Hampton told WBRC. I'm just happy to be a part of that village. Once word of today's events made the local news, Harrison's village got a whole lot bigger. Since the WBRC story aired, he was offered a full scholarship at Birmingham's Boston State Community College. It was only fitting that that when Harrison recently toured the college campus, Hampton was was by his side. I am his full-time mentor, Hampton told the Post. I feel really good about what's going to happen to him next. I'll always be there along the way. Life may not offer any guarantees, but at least Timothy Harrison knows that la- should his best laid plans ever go right again, he's got a village in his corner to help him get things back on track. And it didn- doesn't get any better than that. So yeah, congratulations to that kid. That's, that is fucking awesome. I'm totally not jealous that he actually got a actual graduation celebration. Totally not jealous one bit. So yeah, congratulations again. Great story. Um, so yeah, that is everything for this episode. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to go into the description below. Support this podcast on Cash FMO and PayPal on Patreon. If you support on Patreon, you you'll get episodes um early and without ads, uh in addition to bonus episodes and other things, bonus videos. Um if you want to email me, do so there. If you want to submit a voice message to be played on episode, you can find it in the show notes. Um and you can find my social media and everything so anyway have a wonderful day everyone peace